And our whole life focuses around us gathering this stuff that we think we deserve. And ego grows quietly behind the scenes, making that happen. We're going to look at another place that it does that today. Um, but, But here's the thing. It's going to do it at a place in your life where it feels like you have the opposite of ego going on. Like it's brilliant. Because would you ever, like if you think you're experiencing the opposite of ego, would you ever scour your life looking for it to find some barriers to put up in your, no, you wouldn't. You wouldn't even think about it. It's the perfect hiding place. And so it buries itself in some of these worst moments of our lives. And I I don't want to pile on. I know the opposite of being arrogant is, man, I'm, I'm down on myself a little bit. And I'm not looking to pile on with that. But I want you to understand how ego works. And if you are tolerant of it in that area of your life, it can make you miserable for years. It can control you. So uh, we're going to get there by looking at the life of somebody who experienced that. And you're probably going to be surprised when I tell you who it is. We want to look at the life of Peter. Now, when you think of Peter... Almost initially, your first thought is, that guy is the epitome of an arrogant, self-consumed dude. And he was. He was brash. He was bold. He made power statements. He made moves all over the place where it was about him. But that's not the whole story for Peter. There's actually a season in Peter's life where the opposite happens. And it almost wrecks him because Peter's worst moment in life is a failure that happens right in front of Jesus. There's no hiding it. There's no denying it. Like, he can't escape this. This thing is in his past. He did it. Jesus saw it. Everybody else heard about it. In fact, if you want, (laughs) what's kind of interesting If you go and look at the Gospels, they pick up different stories all the time and tell you different things, and you kind of put them together to tell a whole story. Every one of the Gospels has this story of Peter. He had to be like, thanks, guys. Like, let's get that in there for everybody to see. My biggest worst moment. But here's how it started. It started with arrogant, brash Peter claiming that he was going to do something else. Uh, Jesus had just informed his disciples that at some point they were all going to abandon him. Peter doesn't appreciate this. That's not how he thinks about himself. That's not how he sees himself. And so in Luke chapter 22, verse 33, he says this, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Like I'm, bold statement, Prison and death in the Roman world, horrible, horrible ways to die, horrible ways to be incarcerated. Nothing good about it. And he's like, I'm ready. This is what I'm ready to do. And so he's making this bold statement in front of all of the disciples about what he's going to do with his life. Jesus knows there's a bit of ego going on. He pushes back when he says this to Peter. I tell you, Peter... Before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. 
Peter, you're up here. Prison death. I'm telling you, you won't even agree to know me. It's like the thresholds we're talking about are really different, Peter. Uh, the book of Matthew and Mark record that after Jesus says this to Peter, he argues with Jesus. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't have a clue. I know that I'm going to stand up for you. I know I'm going to go to prison and death. I know what I'm willing and capable to do. And I believe he believed that. Because uh, when we get to the next scene that unfolds, where Peter's kind of on the front of this thing, um, Judas is bringing a crowd in to get Jesus. He's about to betray him in that moment. And Peter pulls out a sword, and he starts whacking around and knocks off the ear of Malchus. Malchus was a servant of the high priest. And he, like, he's ready. You want to fight? I'm going to bring the fight to you. I'm committed to death, to prison. But as soon as Jesus says, Peter, stop. Put the sword away. That's not how we're doing this. The only thing that Peter had to defend himself has now been stripped from him. He looks at the round at the crowd and he makes his choice. I'm out of here. Like if I can't defend myself, if I can't fight the way I want to fight, then I'm out of here. And he withdraws. Now the scriptures tell us that he withdrew to a distance. He didn't completely abandon Jesus. And he and another unnamed disciple, we don't know who it is, all, it, all the Bible says is it's another disciple, they followed Jesus all the way to where they held him. He was held at Caiaphas' house. And um, the other disciple actually got in to the, to the lobby area of the house. There, these rich, wealthy homes actually had a big section in the house that was open to the public, but this was in the evening, and so they would have actually controlled who went in and out. Because this other unnamed disciple had some sort of connection with Caiaphas, he was allowed in. And he goes to a servant girl, and he reasons with her that I brought my buddy with me too. He's safe. You should let him in. And so they go, and they invite Peter into that little courtyard area. We're going to go to John now, and this is where the story unfolds, where it gets interesting for Peter. Because this, this servant girl is going to ask him a simple question. Here it is. This is verse 18 of John, or this 17 of John 18. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? Do you see that? She knows the other guy is a disciple of Jesus's. That's not a mystery. That guy's not in trouble. He's not having to hide it. He's, he's not, doesn't feel like his life is in danger. He's revealed that to her. And all she wants to know is, are you one of them like this guy is too who's, who's already been in here? Simple question from a servant girl who has no power. His answer at the end of the verse, I am not. That's one Denial number one. Jesus had said there would be three of these. And here we have Peter starting off with no good reason 
why he's hiding this from a servant girl when the other disciple has already revealed that he is a follower of Jesus. Standing around a fire warming and a couple people look at Peter again and say, are you sure you aren't one of his disciples too? I mean, it's a question. Every one of these are questions. They're not indictments. They're not threats. They're simple questions. Do you know the guy? That's it. That's, it. That's the low bar. Peter once again says, I'm not. I'm not that guy. That's two. It gets, it gets more difficult because a servant, remember Malchus had his ear cut off? One of that guy's relatives was there in the courtyard. And I bet you if somebody chopped a, a limb off or a body part off of one of your relatives, you'd, rem you'd remember the face, right? If not just to avoid that guy, you would remember that face. That relative comes up to Peter and says, didn't I see you with him in the garden? Didn't I see you? He, he didn't have to admit that he was a follower. All he had to do was admit that, yeah, I was in the garden. You don't know why I was there. You don't know what was going on. He couldn't do that. He says, no. And the scriptures record in the moment that he says no for the third time, a rooster crows. And immediately he remembers the words of Jesus. But it gets worse. Luke records at that very moment, Jesus, who was still in the courtyard, being questioned and abused by the guards, looked over and stared at Peter right in the face. I heard what you said. I know what you just did. I, I believe his look was a look of compassion, not condemnation. I know what you just did, Peter. I still love you. But it did not land with Peter that way. Because every one of the gospel accounts agrees with what happens next. Peter leaves the courtyard. He breaks down and he weeps bitterly. Maybe you could imagine a song like this being sung by Peter in this moment. Earlier that night, Peter had been defending his honor by claiming he would never betray Jesus. He had some attitudes of defensiveness to protect his ego. And now he was facing the weight of his failure in all of these dreams, prison and death, I'm with this guy who's going to be a world changer. All of that seems to be getting washed away in a moment. His dreams are gone. Jesus is gone. Like this, this is tragic. And on top of that, I compromised in front of everybody. Peter was swimming in an ocean of uncalm where he felt regret Shame, stress over his failure that he just committed in front of somebody else. Have you ever had that mixture of emotions enter your life? You make a big mistake, moral failure. doesn't even have to be that. When, 
When I think of all of those emotions, I think of one moment in my life that's the closest it was to what Peter experienced. In one moment, on the top high, and in the next moment, he's as low as you can go. I, have, I had that happen to me once. Um, Tracy and I were on our 25th anniversary trip. It was, um, it was and continues to be one of the best 10 days of our marriage. I, I honestly think what happened on that trip kind of changed our marriage moving forward. We just really remembered, hey, we really like each other, and we like doing stuff with each other, but we're really different people. And so what we thought would be fun on vacation was different than each other. And so we decided that we would just do weird stuff with each other and bite our tongues while it was happening. And we would, we would find a way to have a good time with each other. So I had done that a bunch for her, and one of the things on my list was whitewater rafting. Now, I'm pretty sure I've told this story before, but I don't know if I told it in this vein, so I'm, I'm just gonna um, help unfold the story. I, I had gone several times whitewater rafting before in my life. I loved it. It was enjoyable. I liked getting out there, hitting the waves, wondering if you're gonna like wreck or not. This is, it's fun times for me. My wife did not think that was fun or sounded like a good time. She was terrified. And her biggest fear was that she would fall out of the boat, which I told her, I haven't fallen out of the boat all the times I've done it. It's a rare thing. Don't worry about it, which didn't make it better when the guide went through this long speech about what to do when you fall out of the boat. <laughs> and she's she like looking at me like, well, you could fall out of the boat. Um, so, but it's okay. I, I'm loving this. So I'm on the edge of the raft, man. I'm into this. Like, throw me out there. This is what I came. I showed up for the, for the good time and the challenge. And you, you have to paddle. You just can't sit in the boat. Because if, if you're trying to follow the directions of the guide to make sure you don't get racked up on some rock and then it flips over, that's a bad day for everybody. So you do what he says, and so you have to paddle. So I'm on the edge of the boat because that's where I like to be. And Tracy's on the bottom of the boat reaching over. Style. It's just style. But she's still got her paddling, Right? And uh, off we go. By the way, um, we weren't the only ones in the boat. There was a group of executives from Cisco Systems that were in the boat with us. How do I know that? They told us, okay? They told us that they were at Cisco. They told us they traveled a lot. They told us that they were good at water stuff, that they do this sort of thing. They were in the front of the boat. They're like, dudes, right? And I'm in the boat, I guess, in the back where it's safe. Um, and... It's fine. I, like, my ego was in the boat along with them. We're all going down the river. All right? And I, I'm on the edge of the boat. I'm having a good time. And we go through um, some rapids. And one of the rapids that we hit knocked my foot out. You, you kind of put your feet under the raft to hold you in place. And that way you can kind of lean out and do whatever you want to do. My foot came out from under there. And I got off balance. Nothing I could do at that point. It was like this slow motion kind of thing where I just started going like this and I went ploop right into the water. No big deal. They grabbed me, pulled me out. I'm having fun. The water was great. Tracy saw, oh, I guess you can get pulled out pretty quickly. This isn't so bad. And so she started to get a little confidence. And so now as she's having a little bit more fun, she's up on the edge of the raft and a little further down, boop, she's out, right? It was no big deal grabbed her, pulled her back in, and now she's having a great time. She's like, I guess when you fall out, you don't die. This is fun. 
This is fun. And so now she stays on the edge of the raft. I'm on the edge of the raft. And um, uh, the guide had seen that we handled it okay, so he decided to move us around. And he decided to put me in the front of the boat where you can get some action, which I'm like, yes. Like, you're in the front of the boat when it goes up and then goes down and then goes up like this, and you are just getting rocked all over the place. It's a great time. So I'm up in the front of the boat, like biggest smile on my face. I'm having a great time. And then we hit a monster, like drop off. I I loved it, except when I went down like this, my foot came out again. And when I went like this, there was nothing graceful about what happened next. It wasn't a slow motion thing. I was getting ejected from the boat. And I broke the number one rule that the guide gave us. The guide said, when you're getting thrown out of the boat, let go of the paddle. Why, people? Why do you need it? Because your body is reflective and reactive. And when you start to fall, you reach back to catch yourself. But when you have a paddle, you don't reach back to catch yourself. You swing it into the face of one of the Cisco guys. (laughs) Which I did. Now, when I got pulled back into the boat the second time, the boat was less cheery, (laughs) right? I mean, I could understand that for paddle face guy. I mean, that's that's a rough way to go. His ear was ringing, his jaw hurt. I I got him pretty good. Like, I know that. But the guide was making comments. It um, moved me back in the back of the boat again, like... um, he was making, like, paddle face guy was making comments to his other Cisco friends, and, and um, I messed up. Like, there was, there was nowhere to hide from that. I went out of the boat, and I clubbed somebody in the head while I was doing it. And there it was. And for the rest of the trip... And the bus ride back to the hotel, I sat and listened to comments that were made about what happened. And it didn't feel great. And I did what I think a lot of people do when that terrible kind of moment happens. I decided that I would do nothing. Like, I stopped sitting on the edge of the raft. I kind of started protecting myself a little bit. I was quiet. I wasn't going to say anything. I wasn't going to do much of anything. Because I thought, if I just do nothing, that would be safe, smart, and wise. I'll just be safe, smart, and wise and do nothing. Now, this is exactly what Peter does he does nothing. Now, I, I, will, I will give you that our failures aren't even in the same league. I, f- I fell out of a whitewater raft. He was there with Jesus and said, I don't know you in that moment. They're, they're not the same. But I can tell you what Peter did. He withdrew and decided that he was going to go be a fisherman for the rest of his life instead. 
I'm not, I'm just going to play it safe. All of these dreams that we had of changing the world with each other, of going to prison and death and all that sort of stuff, back shelf. I'm going to play it safe. I'm going to withdraw. And I think I know what Peter was doing because it's what I was doing in that boat and on that bus ride home. I was feeling sorry for myself. I was, I was feeling sorry that I just got embarrassed, that I failed, and that I did it wonderfully in front of my wife. Right? In front of the jock squad, right? You didn't measure up. And there you are, like comparing yourself to all of that. So I'm sitting there feeling sorry for myself. And I believe that's exactly what Peter was doing. He turned inward, determining that he knew his worth. He knew his place. And he knew how to solve it. Take a risk? No. Change something in his life? No. Invite friends in to help kind of soothe this? No. He decided he was going to solve this thing on his own. Have you, have you ever done that in one of those moments where you failed, where you've messed up, where like, you feel embarrassed by the whole thing? You can't hide it. It's out there. But you tell yourself, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to heal this. I'm going to make this better. And you set off to do this on your own. And what I have discovered about that is that all that happens is that I'm alone and nothing happens. It's paralysis. That's what ego does. It gets you to a place in your life where you are listening to only one voice, yours. Your voice becomes the most important voice in the room, and if it tells you that you're doing horribly, you accept that. And all of those negative voices that you swim in, you decide you're going to trust that above any thing else. I'm a failure. I'm a loser. I'm unlovable. You name it. The voice is there and you give it more credit than it deserves. This is happening with Peter. How do we know this? Because Jesus has been trying to recruit him back to the team for a little while, and it hasn't happened yet. How do we know that? Well, look at what is said in John chapter 24, verse 14. Jesus comes to Peter and the rest of the disciples, and it says this was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. How many times... Would you need to see somebody that you saw die alive again before it would change you? And if you say once, you don't know human nature very well. Because the voices that we carry around with us are so powerful, they will override reality. 
They will tell you what is real, even when it's not, and we accept it. Three times now, Jesus has appeared before Peter, but he knows he's going to have to be direct. He knows he's got more than fishermen in him. He has plans for Peter to be a leader, but Peter's not seen it. He's a fisherman. That's the best he's going to do. That's the best he can be. So Jesus enters into this conversation with him. And three different times, he says, Peter, do you love me? Three times, Peter denied him. Three times, he's asked the question, do you love me? And Peter responds three times, yes, I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Three times, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. It's still not sinking in. Do you understand? He's been called back by Jesus personally, and it's still not happening yet. Peter's story doesn't change until Jesus says something specific to him. His sense of feeling so sorry for himself has him so focused on him, on who he is, on how he thinks about himself, that even the voice of Jesus can't be listened to. Until, verse 29, Jesus says this, two words, follow me. Follow me. You will not find in the scriptures where Jesus goes around and recruits perfect people to his team. You're not going to find it. You will find him going around recruiting arrogant, brash, self-centered people who he looks at and says, follow me. You will find him going around and recruiting broken-hearted, messed up failures who, who have just made a whole mess of their lives. And he says, you're, you're part of my team. Follow me. And the key in the process isn't your story. It's that you've decided to follow his. I'm, I'm going to put my story aside, my past aside, and I'm going to make my business about following you. And as soon as you make Jesus your focus, the focus of my direction, the focus of my movement, the focus of my energy, then that story that you have in your past that you cannot deny because it's there. Well, you cannot walk away from it. You cannot erase it. All you can do is look back and know it's true. But that story becomes evidence of how much you're loved by God, not an anchor in your life. Jesus looks at that and says, I know about that. I don't care. What I want from you is to follow. And if you will follow me, if you will focus your heart on what we could do together, this thing that could be dragging you down, it's your past. It's a marker in your life so that you know how good I am to you because I am going to take you past that, over that, through that, and we're going to move. But you're not going to move if the only person you follow is you. And that's why ego is so sneaky in this way. In these moments where we have these failures, where we're feeling terrible, 
terrible about ourselves. We're so focused on us that even the voice of God who asks us to follow is discounted. I'll follow you once I get it fixed. I'll follow you once I'm good enough. I'll follow when I can be of use to you. That's not yours to decide, that's God's. And if he says follow, the only question you have is will I or not? Because the moment you decide that I'm willing to follow you, the moment that thing in your life that is full of embarrassment and failure and shame becomes a story that God rewrites for his kingdom. And my friends, that's what he does with Peter. Peter, this brash, arrogant guy who then has this epic moment of failure that starts to reshape his life, finally lays his ego down, follows Jesus, and becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem a church that would go on to change the world, literally change the world. Why? Because Peter was so great? Because Peter figured out after a while that what makes this work is us putting our ego down and following. See, everybody follows somebody. You're either following a hero of yours, you're following yourself, or you've made a conscious effort to follow after Jesus. That decision will change your life. We'll, we'll give you a reset on all the baggage that you carry because it's not bigger than the one you follow. It never has been and it never will be. So there's a simple choice. It's not easy but it's simple. Will you look at the failures in your life and decide to move past them by being a follower? God, what you want for me, I'll do. What you want me to do, what you want me to say, what you want me to think, I'll adopt that kind of stuff. And in so doing, I'll let you rewrite the story of my life. That is your choice. It's either you in charge or God. Will you be a follower? Let me pray with you. God, I'm so, um, I'm grateful for the life of Peter. These moments of failure that come into our lives, they mark us because there is nothing that we can do to get past them. They are, they're there, they're history. There's no denying it. It happened in front of people. It caused pain and hurt in people's lives. And we're sitting there like we're holding the bag. We did it. And we know it. And yet, God, you have more for us than that. And if we're not careful, our egos will slip in to these moments of failures, cause us to focus on that failure so much that that becomes the pinnacle of our lives. It shapes and directs our whole lives. That one terrible moment. And if we could just find a way to realize that you know about it, you saw it, you were there when it happened, but you have a plan from us that's past that, 
that's ahead. And if we could just lean into following after you, that past doesn't become an anchor. It becomes a badge of honor as we look at the things that you've forgiven us for. Love us despite of. Have plans for our lives. God, you do pick the broken. You do pick the failures. It's good news because that's who we are. I ask that we would have the courage to stop listening to us and to start listening to you. God, help us to be followers who understand that you loved us enough to die for us and offer us a life that's new. May we have the courage to grab onto that, to lean into it, and to fully live it. In Jesus' name, amen.